Hello and welcome to Eyewitness Beauty, the podcast where we talk about the biggest stories in the beauty industry each week. I'm Nick Axelrod Welk. And I'm Annie Kriegbaum. I am smiling ear to ear, and it's not for any reason. It's not for your new that you ordered that Travis Scott d- also has? Shh, don't, you can't, we can't leave talk about out, that Leave it out, leave it out, leave it out. And we also can't talk about that because we're not telling my husband that I'm getting that There's a lot of parts of that that are just completely... Oh, I, n- you know what? I think that was someone else that I yeah, do a podcast with. it was someone with. else. That it was, was someone else. I have been dying, and I didn't text you about this because I wanted to talk about, I wanted to leave it, you know, leave it for the podcast. Brittany Jean Spears. Nick, I'm going to start crying. I don't want to talk about this. You're, I feel like you're just in an emotional <laughs> place right now because Annie's literally starting to cry. Doesn't it make you sad? It's so sad. I mean, like the fact that she's it's taken this long for her to somehow like realize or have the agency or the ability to find this avenue f- to express like herself and her situation is tragic. The whole thing is super tragic. For anyone who's like under some sort of a rock. The big rock that she was sitting on in her Not a Girl, Not Yet a Woman video. Yeah. If anyone's under that rock, can you just break down what happened with Britney Spears this week? Okay. So I didn't even know this was happening. So from what I gather, she was in court yesterday speaking on her conservatorship because it's been supposed most famously by... The podcast duo behind Britney's Graham, which kind of started as a what a critique like slash celebration just, yeah. of her quite bizarre Instagram presence. And an Instagram presence that for at least the last few years has been, I mean, to me, incredibly troubling. She's not completely coherent. Her mannerisms and her movements are either jerky or twitchy. She seems unwell or medicated or not medicated, as the case may be. But continue. So this podcast kind of brought to light the fact that like, and you know, not only the podcast, but I would say they've like, what, put a megaphone to it. The fact that her conservatorship. Yeah, they were like the face of this free Britney movement, which developed sort of as like a conspiracy theory. It started out as, which turned out not to be a conspiracy. Can you break down a little bit what happened this week? Okay, so We're assuming that a lot of people listening kind of know the backstory behind the Free Britney movement, this kind of supposed snowball of information that her fans and others have been gathering that it's not that she's unwell, it's that she is likely being very much abused and the court is and controlled through the court system because her father, Jamie, has been very much in charge of her finances and, as it turns out, her life. Through her lawyer, she petitioned the court to be able to speak directly to the judge in the sort of ongoing battle over her conservatorship, and she finally was granted that opportunity this week and gave a quite upsetting and explicit account of the abuses that she's endured under this conservatorship among them you know being forced to keep an IUD in for the last 13 years horrifying getting about a quarter of the amount of money per month that her dad gets for being the conservator she feels manipulated she feels traumatized she says that all of the stuff she was saying online about being fine was denial She says, quote, I just want my life back. 
And she said, I truly believe this conservatorship is abusive. I don't feel like I can live a full life. It's horrible and it's tragic. And I think one of the things, if you haven't seen the New York Times produced documentary on Hulu about Britney Spears, I recommend watching it. But I think that we all as a culture should take some accountability, to be totally honest, for this predicament because we projected so much onto her as a teenager and forced her hand in terms of exploiting her own sexuality. But it also brings to light, this is somebody that in theory has a lot of resources and a lot of eyes on her. It just makes you think like the people, the women that like don't have that and are going through similar things and that don't have agency over their own medical decisions. Financial abuse, emotional abuse, all those things are very real. The good thing, I guess, is that after this acknowledgement of the abuse that she's continued to endure under this conservatorship, hopefully something will change. This has to be sort of a watershed moment in her case in that like the entire world now knows how she feels. And I would just find it a very, I, I would hope that any judge or governing body listening to this would do, make the right decision and the conservatorship. Nick, I have two pieces of good news. If good, we can just go. kind of like, please. I know we've been sitting in the Britney news for a while and I don't want to curtail the conversation, but we have a really incredible update about former guest of the pod, Mega Rajagopalan, is now a Pulitzer Prize winning international reporter. Wow. The 2021 Before you even continue, I'm just wowing already. Continue. Yes. Wow. She won the prize for international reporting for a series of clear and compelling stories that use satellite imagery and architectural expertise, as well as interviews with two dozen former prisoners to identify a vast new infrastructure built by the Chinese government for the mass detention of Muslim Uyghurs. This is crazy. This is amazing. Congratulations to Mega. Congratulations, Mega. But also congratulations to us that we now have had a Pulitzer Prize winning journalist on the podcast. Maybe one day we'll have, we'll really have a star in the form of your dream guest. What's her name? Trisha Pet. Trisha Paytas. Yeah. Yes. Yes. Fellow uh, Pulitzer. Is that right? Yeah. No, only fans. Oh, got it. Got it. Speaking of OnlyFans, <laughs> wait, wait, wait. Before we get to that, we have another major announcement for former podcast guest, which is not the top thing on her resume. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Lee, who has been the editor in chief of Allure for the past six years, announced this week that she'll be joining Netflix's marketing team as the new VP of editorial and publishing. She's moving so to LA. I've already to told LA. her I'm there to help her if she needs any recommendations. She's going to oversee globally editorial and publishing for all of Netflix, which is a huge job. And that's amazing. I think what was so cool in speaking to Michelle a few months ago was how she really always saw Allure more as a brand than a magazine and was able to take it in many different directions because she came from that digital first, digitally native place, which I think has obviously benefited the magazine and her personally, because you know what? I feel like publishing doesn't pay as well as Netflix. (laughs) I don't know that that's exactly why she did it, but (laughs) Nick, I got to say, if Netflix offered me a job and they were like, can we steal you from my witness? I might consider it, you know? You wanted to do it? You'd have to get a little bit of that Netflix money? Fair enough. So now we can get to OnlyFans. And, and, 
Yes, circling <laughs> back to my favorite OnlyFans, which is the it's basically like a Twitter if anyone doesn't know what OnlyFans is, it's basically like a Twitter or an Instagram feed, but you have to pay to subscribe to people's feeds. So for do you example, have an like account? if you I do. I have an account. I'm a viewer, not a creator. I'm a I'm a viewer, not a creator as well. I was poking around on there. I actually put it on the company card. Not sure how that's going to look next time we go out for investment money and they review our finances. <laughs> However, Nick, you give the update because you're the one that put the story forth. I hear $1 billion so, is involved. OnlyFans, which is based in the UK, is currently seeking investment at a $1 billion valuation. Now, you might say, that seems crazy. But according to Bloomberg, OnlyFans made more than $400 million last year, which is a 20% fee of the more than $2 billion that its creators made over the course of that year. And that's in part due to the sort of explosion of the popularity of it during the coronavirus lockdown. They paid out more than $3 billion in total over the course of its existence to 1.25 million creators. And this is, again, is according to a report in Bloomberg. I think what's interesting here is that OnlyFans, you know, these numbers are obviously incredibly impressive. Can I give some anecdotal insight from some people I'm friends with that are huge on OnlyFans? Yeah. These are women that have, you know, really large Instagram followings. And our influencers on more mainstream channels, although I, w- I think with these numbers, you can consider OnlyFans a more mainstream channel. They are the type that would have taken, you know, rev share deals as a way of getting paid from like small brands that are like, hey, will you put a promo code and, and hype our products and like an Instagram post and a story? Or can we pay you 20 grand to do an Instagram post? They don't even answer those calls anymore. They don't open those emails. They're making so much money through their OnlyFans subscribers. They don't have to hawk products. And they're making real, real money. Yeah. Some of my favorite creators, you follow them long enough and you get to see like the houses that they're filming in get nicer and nicer. They keep on like moving into nicer upgraded apartments. It's pretty amazing. So basically, again, to close the loop on what exactly OnlyFans is, it's basically a website where you pay to follow creators that you think are hot or sexy. They do everything from post bikini pictures as the most tame thing that they would do to like full on amateur porn and taking requests and they you can tip them. It's basically a way to monetize like adult content. And to be clear, like a lot of the biggest creators are not making any more X-rated content than they put on their Instagrams anyway. So in case you were wondering. It's more to the interaction you get to have with them. Right. So now, Nick, I guess now it's time to tell everyone Eyewitness Beauty is launching an OnlyFans channel. You will be able to request... Full penetration. (laughs) Of the mind with our hot takes on the latest news in the beauty industry. Mm-hmm. Nick will be posting nudes. Yeah, it's going to be... I feel like there's some long hair, long nail fetish content I can get into because have you seen Oh, I babies? think that's a good idea. Maybe we could do some feet stuff. I don't know that I have the feet for that, but look at my nails. Ooh, they, they feel like almost like Catwoman would have like nails like that. Anyway, moving on. 
We have a few stories. I think we can just give you the bullets and then get through. Gorilla girl glue. Gorilla glue. Gorilla glue girl. Say it five times. Say it five times. Say it five times. Gorilla glue girl. Our favorite glued head scalp girl is launching a hair care brand. Bless her. Can we call her by her name? Her name is Tessica Brown. Is she embracing the title Gorilla Glue Girl? Or is this just what like the media has like, <laughs> sorry for the pun, stuck onto her? In other social media news, Kylie Jenner, the little engine that could, is rebranding. And we don't really understand why. But they're going to be vegan and cruelty-free. Were they not vegan before? You know, I can't. For as much as we talk about Kylie, you would think we would know these things. I I think that the funny thing was that it was poised as a rebrand. It is not a rebrand. It is a reformulation of her classic lip kit, who one of our good friends, Alexis Page, once called car paint (laughs) in an endearing way. But they are reformulating the classic matte lip paint and liner duo, which to me is interesting because I feel like we've moved on from that as a society. I thought that the matte lip, the matte lip paint was done. I thought we were like squarely in the sheer matte territory or the highly glossed territory at this point. Nope. Not if Kylie has anything to say about it. Can we go back to a kind of like sister story to the Gorilla Glue issue? And this, let this be a lesson to people who take beauty tips from TikTok. I don't personally TikTok, but I consider myself a TikTok consumer because I watch them on Instagram. And I've seen a lot of henna paint being used as a semi-permanent makeup product. And Mm. as we know, the faux freckle trend has been snowballing over the past few years. There's brands that created an entire line of products around this idea. But most recently on TikTok, young talkers have been encouraging each other to take henna paint and use it to create <laughs> the freckles Hen- on their like face. Like henna, meaning like the paint that you would use like that in Indian marriage celebrations that they incorporate into the traditions? Yeah, they'll do designs on, on hands and they come in those tiny little plastic soft squeeze bags with a tiny little tip where you can get very precise. And so I think that's why, you know, very ingenious is clearly not the word, but experimental beauty people started using them to create these semi-permanent freckles because you know, what a pain it is to put them on with eyeliner and have to wash them off at the end of the day. So a big brother, Australia, I used the word influencer when I wrote the note, but she's a reality star. Her name is Tilly Whitfeld, came forward recently with a very vulnerable selfie to show the just insane effects of using this DIY method to create faux freckles in her face, it it is, Uh-oh. it's bad. It's really bad. Open wounds all over. So guys, just be careful. I see a lot of like interesting stuff happening on TikTok. I'm sure a lot of the advice is very helpful to a lot of people, but I don't know about this one. Have you seen any kind of crazy things in your, you're on TikTok all the time, Nick. What's like the weirdest like beauty tip that you see people giving each other? I got a big kick out of the recent ashwagandha. Did you follow this whole thing where like TikTok discovered ashwagandha and like was doing like an ashwagandha challenge where they would take it for like a month and everyone was saying how much better they felt? An ashwagandha's powdered mushroom? No. 
<laughs> um, I think ashw- ashwagandha is definitely what are those things called? Like not superfoods. What's it called? Mediocre foods. No, 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 no. Like when it's like magic and it does magic things. Well, it's a, okay. Uh, I'm, I'm googling nootropics. 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 No. No, it is a ancient medicinal herb, and it is an evergreen shrub, and the root and the berry are used to make medicine. It's also an analgesic, which is like a pain reliever that soothes nervous system from pain response, or like a numbing something. Hmm. Anyway, people would take it just to like feel better mm-hmm. adaptogen it's an adaptogen Adap- that's what i want mm-hmm. that was the word mm-hmm. that i was looking for anyway it's like one of those things where like they'll have a new york times article about it every six months and the basic thing will be like you know western doctors say that there's no research to support that it works and then eastern practitioners would say it definitely works anyway tiktok discovered it and they're all into it but they're like i don't trust tiktok as far as i can throw it no because they buy these things tiktok you know we say that gen z is going to like save us all but they're obsessed with amazon they're they, no yeah and they're not i don't think and they buy all this stuff on amazon who knows what sort of ashwagandha they're getting on amazon that's probably true and my concern with ashwagandha would be that they're getting ashwagandha the Bezos yeah, special. Like, it'd be like they would like add a little bit of like you know cornstarch or something. Just ashwagandhas. Yeah, exactly. I would just be very careful where you get your ashwagandha. Which I think was the issue with this henna. She got it on Amazon. So I've been dying to talk to you about this, but as usual, we like to save it for the pod. But Victoria's Secret is desperately trying to reinvent itself, and they've just <laughs> unveiled a new campaign. I can't even say it without laughing. They're calling it the VS Collective. And it is a sort of straight out of central casting. There's a gay person and a black person and a Hispanic person and a trans person. And they're just trying desperately to like erase their past and like just appeal to the new generations. And it's sad to me. So basically, the soccer star Megan Rapinoe, Priyanka Chopra, Paloma, friend of the pod, Chinese-American freestyle skier, who's 17. Who else? So, yes, I agree. It's a little on the nose. It's as if... We're desperate. Also, like, their creative director is the ex-creative director from Vogue, a guy named Raul Martinez. I just don't understand why they think that you can keep on keeping on with the status quo and just revolutionize the company like in a performative way versus like actually having dare I say women they should have given me the job I I put it out into the world they did not receive it I would have done scalloped high cut all cotton underwear at a fair price that's actually what they used to do and they did it well I would have kept the angels because I think they're really shooting themselves in the foot here because I would say that the Victoria's Secret angels had incredible marketing prowess. Those models had huge followings. It was just done. Rabid fan bases. Instead of doing away with the angels, why not just make Paloma an angel? Like, why not? That's what I'm saying. Don't do away with the like, franchise. Call it a just collective like and like. Prove it. 
It's like literally Victoria's Secret putting like some like Warby Parker glasses on and like trying to pretend that it's like not Victoria's Secret. I don't know. Yeah, it's... what is up with the collectives? What who came up what marketing person was like it's it's they're not spokespeople. No, they're, they're not, not spokespeople. Models. They're this in a collective. collective. They all sit in, around a room together. <laughs> like is that what we're supposed to think? They're all like sitting around a room like Yeah, I agree. I the one thing I thought was sort of interesting that I saw on Instagram was you know Julie Schott who founded Starface. She was an editor at L Magazine or L dot com for a while. Do you know we were both Exo Jane? She was at Exo Jane too. And I saw her post some of like screenshots of the stories that while she was at L, she would have to write, and by have to, I'll explain what I mean about like working out like an angel or like the Victoria's Secret diet. So basically, Victoria's Secret engaged a very powerful New York City PR firm called KCD every single year surrounding the runway show, which would be recorded and then televised several months later. And Victoria's Secret was a huge advertiser across, you know, TV and print media. And as such, had relationships with all of the major, like Condé Nast, Hearst, Meredith, etc., like top-down relationships so that editors were essentially assigned stories on the Victoria's Secret fashion show. They would fly editors to wherever the fashion show was happening, a certain number of editors. I was once among them, so... That's my disclosure. And you would cover the show and write whatever articles you could find that sort of painted it in an interesting, but certainly positive light. And Julie was looking back at the articles that she wrote about like training like an angel or like basically glorifying an unattainable body type, an unattainable lifestyle dedicated to working out and glossing over the fact that like genetics, whatever. Can I just say the (laughs) only... The only way to get that skinny because I've done it is not eating. So that's one side of it, which is like that there was this interesting PR and media machine that I was a part of that, you know, a lot of us in the beauty industry were a part of. I was about to say, Nick, I, you know, not to like simplify this too much, but this is your fault. No, in a way, in a way it is because I did do a video backstage at the Victoria's Secret show in... London, I think. And you were like, this is what real women should look like. <laughs> no, that's not what Try I said. Try harder. Um, I tried. <laughs> I, I saw it. I, I should have screen recorded, but. <laughs> no, but anyway, what all One of which is to say that like, what is it? Absolute power corrupts absolutely. Just it became a toxic self-populating and satisfying thing where like the media would write articles about how skinny the girls were. The girls would be skinny so that the media would write about them. And that guy, one of the guys allegedly who was in charge of Victoria's Secret, Ed, was like having castings. Uh, you know, it was all gross. But I, I just think and I think you agree that the way to reinvent Victoria's Secret. Sorry, is, tell me what I think as a woman. <laughs> Go ahead. Do you want me to mansplain it for you and also mm-hmm. like erase you? I think I'm seeing a very interesting pattern here. What is with these middle-aged men with daughters throwing their daughters under the bus? Remember the Ted Cruz going yeah. to Mexico? That Raul Martinez, is the new creative director for Victoria's Secret, is quoted in this New York Times article saying it was his 15-year-old daughter who persuaded him to join Victoria's Secret. She said, Dad, do it for us. The Gen Zs. <laughs> It's the most bullshit thing. That, guess what that daughter probably said? Dad, close my fucking door. <laughs> I'm not helping you. God. <laughs> anyway, best of luck to Victoria's Secret. So 
This is sports news, so I feel like, Annie, you should take it. Okay, here's what happened. You have to know who Cristiano Ronaldo is. I do. Oh, you do? We kind of talked about it yeah. earlier. Say what you said about Cristiano Ronaldo. What are, oh, uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, he is the world's most famous Person? soccer player who I'm told, if you call soccer, soccer... Oh, football, football, football. Guys, get a life. It's soccer. Cristiano Ronaldo was at a some sort of FIFA conference. First of all, there's a ton of different soccers happening in the world. Soccers. It's not like sports sports where they all have a shared goal of winning the whole thing because there's not just one whole thing. They have this cup over here, this cup over here. So they haven't like like, organized it well. It's like still like little like communities. They all seem very happy with how it's organized until they're very not happy with how it's organized because they try to start like a different soccer league and then everybody got mad recently. Apparently, I don't, I can't keep up. There's too much. And then they have their own countries that like, they don't even root for their own countries. Who's, who's they? Like, who's who? All when, soccer when, fans. when you say quote unquote, they have their own countries, are you referring to people who no, play the soccer, on the soccer so teams and soccer, the countries that they're from? Countries have their own teams. Like Denmark has a soccer team. Right. But then there's leagues or there's like Liverpool. uh, Yes. And there's also in in the UK, there's ones like the Westminster Abbey crew. And they're like, and like David Beckham would be like like Real Madrid. Yeah. They'll be like traded between them, each other. Yeah. And then they rent their players out to other teams. It's like the weirdest. But they're not. Oh, they're called like soccer clubs. It's like, yeah, soccer clubs. Yeah. I don't get it. Anyway. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Whatever. Anyway, Cristiano Ronaldo, who has been in a Calvin Klein campaign. So that is how I know him. Really beautiful. Really wealthy. <laughs> he's very beautiful. And he maybe the world's most famous person. He's one of the world's right most famous people. And he last week during a press conference for FIFA took was it the, FIFA? Because I just guess. <laughs> I just I, I know that it's, it was at a it was at a Euro 2020 news conference. Okay, so not Essentially, FIFA. he was sitting down <laughs> at a table, like about to do interviews with the media in like the media pit. There were two Coca Cola bottles on the table, and he moved both of the Coca Cola bottles out of sight off camera and said agua essentially meaning water like drink water don't drink no that is what it means (laughs) yeah but that's what but yeah so he moved the bottles out of the camera and then he held up a bottle of water and said agua and (laughs) coca-cola share prices dropped 1.6 percent directly after he did this so i don't want to misreport this because that is what was reported and it's still that way on espn when I went back to the original article I read on this in The Guardian, Nick, is The Guardian a legitimate news source? Yeah, I think so. It is. So they had a corrections corner. I don't know who. I don't know if it was Coca-Cola. I don't know if it was Ronaldo. But some somebody's camp released some sort of correction saying that the footballer's removal of the two bottles of Coca-Cola during the Euro 2020 press conference had coincided with a $4 billion fall in the company's share price. In fact, there had already been a fall accounting for a majority of the share price reduction before Hmm. the press conference and other factors may have contributed to the drop. Either his camp's trying to like be like, no, Coca-Cola, like we can still be cool or I don't know what. In other sad news... Toxic, quote unquote, forever chemicals turn out to be in most of the top makeup brands and most of the products that we all love. They are called PFAS, 
and that stands for per and polyfluoroalkyl substances. They're a class of about 9,000 compounds that are used to make products like food packaging, clothing, and carpeting water and stain resistant. They're called forever chemicals because they do not naturally break down and they've been found to accumulate in humans. This is according to an article in The Guardian. And basically, there was a peer-reviewed study published in the Environmental Science and Technology Journal, which basically said that there are high levels of these chemicals in over half of 231 makeup and personal care samples. And that's across lipstick, eyeliner, mascara, foundation, concealer, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. 82% of waterproof mascaras tested positive for this chemical, 63% of foundations, and 62% of lipsticks. And what these chemicals do in the cosmetics, according to this article in The Guardian, is make them more easily spreadable. And waterproof. Durable, waterproof, water-resistant, but also, unfortunately, they are, quote-unquote, highly mobile, and they can move easily through the environment. They can move through our skin. They can go in through our tear ducts, and certainly if they're in lipsticks, and I would imagine long-wearing matte lipsticks (laughs) can be ingested through our mouths. Yeah, this sucks. What's interesting is that the release of the study coincided with the introduction of a bipartisan bill in the Senate that would ban these chemicals, the use in makeup and personal care products called No PFAS in Cosmetics Act, authored by Maine Republican Senator Susan Collins and Democratic Congresswoman Debbie Dingell in the House. And it would require the FDA to ban the chemicals use within 270 days. So let's hope that passes. In other chemical skincare health news, Sephora is launching a new program for clean beauty products, a new classification rather called quote unquote clean plus. And that will include an even more rigorous list of ingredients and standards that brands will have to meet and prove that they meet in order to be considered clean plus As part of the new program, clean brands or brands that are already clean will have time to reformulate and comply by 2022. Skincare, hair care, makeup brands, they have until 2022 to get their act together if they want to be considered quote unquote clean plus. And what's interesting is this is a new Women's Wear Daily article. Two sources that they spoke to said that 30% of Sephora's entire sales growth which is about $3 billion in online sales in North America. So 30% of that is coming from Clean It Sephora brands. Can I just say, a little bird told me, brands that qualify as Clean at Sephora basically just check a box on a an Excel spreadsheet. Allegedly. Allegedly. And it doesn't sound like there's a lot of due process involved. <sighs> So I can see why they're tightening their standards. I mean, this comes right off the heels of The Ordinary did like a marketing campaign around the word chemical, (laughs) just making sure everybody out there knew that chemicals are all around us. They are us. They're in the water. They are the water. (laughs) A chemical is not a bad, does not equal a bad thing. It is like H2O is a chemical. CO2 is a chemical. What else is a chemical? Necklace is the only two I know. (laughs) I mean, basically just like 
the ordinary, the cheeky branding minds at the ordinary came out with this campaign that was like, everything is chemicals. Don't be scared of chemicals. Why is that cheeky? It's true. We talk about it on the podcast all the time. No, it's true, but like it's a if little. If I had the money, I'd be buying reductive. billboards. And like you got, it's not reductive, Nick. Like all the time, people are like, I don't. I get CX questions to soft services. Do these products have chemicals? I'm not saying that the consumers are being dum dums. I'm saying that the way that they've been marketed to by greenwashed beauty companies and otherwise has been very deceptive in tricking people into believing that quote unquote chemicals are bad for them. No, I agree. So it's good. This is all good. I've only in the last, what, seven years become a little bit more aware of the ingredients in the products that we use, that we use in the house, that certainly since we had a baby who you can probably hear in the background being watched over by my parents. And it's scary to think that there can be these forever chemicals, that there are Things that are added to products just to make them last a little bit longer, to help with the bottom line, to stretch the product a little bit more. I don't know. It is scary. So I think any, you know, obviously bills and regulations at a federal level are the best offense because it'll demand certain standards of brands. But certainly like Sephora creating these hoops for brands is a good thing because then they have to try a little harder. Definitely. I mean, if anybody has the power to make a lot of beauty brands do something at Sephora. This was a piece of news that everyone slash many of our readers brought to our attention and had mixed feedback about. Which no, was we that, brought it to the reader's attention. True. We brought it to the reader's attention, then the readers had mixed feedback. And that is that Unilever bought Paula's Choice, rumored to be around a $2 billion sale price, which is incredible. What's interesting in the articles that I read about the transaction is that Paula's Choice is believed to be one of the biggest direct-to-consumer beauty companies in the entire world, which is pretty amazing and pretty awesome. They didn't buy it from Paula, so it's not like Paula had this crazy payday because of the Unilever acquisition. Paula herself had sold the company to a private equity firm who then did the transaction with Unilever. I feel like I should get a cut of this. I've been talking about the 2% BHA skin perfecting liquid exfoliant for, I don't know, eight, nine years now. Maybe. I'd like watch your bank account. Maybe Coinbase will make a mistake like they did with that guy who had for like five days a $10 trillion balance on Coinbase. I feel like if they did that, I feel like he gets to keep it. He didn't. (laughs) It's like on Venmo when you accidentally send somebody like money that you didn't mean to. You don't get to get that money back. Yeah, well, take it up with Coinbase. Well, I'd like to take it up with Unilever. Sounds like they cut somebody a check, but not me. So what most of the readers had mentioned in response to us bringing this article to their attention was the hope and the dream and the wish that Unilever not touch any of the formulas, not change them, not modify them. And we're just going to put that out there into the open if anyone at Unilever is listening, please, you know, we have a lot of fans of the 2% product, a lot of fans of the vitamin C brightening serum. Keep some of these products pure. Also, what I thought was interesting about this transaction, I just remembered that I wanted to mention, is Unilever is one of the only strategic, you know, acquirers that has been able to buy direct-to-consumer brands. 
successfully. Explain what you mean by that. So they bought Dollar Shave Club and have successfully, you know, run it for the past few years. They haven't totally screwed it up. And this is, I guess, a little inside baseball, but the Essay Lauders, the L'Oreal's of the world are wonderful and excellent and bar none at running brands that have department store distribution, specialty multi-distribution, which is like an Ulta or a Sephora. They're wonderful in international markets, China, the Middle East, Europe, etc. But they haven't quite cracked the direct-to-consumer nut. So you really don't see direct-to-consumer brands being snapped up by the big acquirers, by the L'Oreal's and the Estee Lauder's. Unilever has taken some big risks. Dollar Shave Club, now Paula's Choice. What about The Ordinary? I mean, that's in Sephora and Ulta. It's not direct. I see what you're saying. But Paula's Choice is also not direct. Paula's Choice is majority majority direct. But I think for as large as they are, their footprint in retail is like nothing to shake a finger at. I wouldn't call Polish Choice a direct consumer brand. Their retail presence is, I mean, they very much have a huge wholesale business too. On all the articles that I was reading about the acquisition, everyone was explaining that Polish Choice, like the majority of the revenue that Polish Choice has every year comes from the direct consumer website, not from retail. Yeah. So anyway, it just means that Unilever has people in place that know what to do with the direct consumer brand, what to do with the data, or maybe they just know how to leave the brands alone and let them run and do what they're good at and just support them in the ways that they can be supportive and help them get into new territories. But I think, and to wrap up my my little sub thought, is the hard thing with a direct consumer brand is that there's so much about community and you can't or like an you know a US based community brand like Apollo's Choice and just create that in China. The Chinese Gen Z, you know, millennials have a different style and well, flair and like different things. People in China also like buy products in a completely different way than we do over here. Exactly. But like, you know, there are Sephora's in China, you know, like there are there are department stores in China, obviously. No, so like there but, are, s- but they don't even have credit cards. You know what I mean? Everything is paid for through an app. Most of the buying is done through basically infomercial shopping. Yeah. I'm certainly out of my depth when it comes to like Chinese buying habits, but I do know what I, and I think is interesting is that it's really hard to replicate the success of a direct consumer brand you know, the success that they would have in America in a different country, just because like the people, the experience, the reason, the emotion behind why you would, you know, identify with a brand and want to shop directly on their site is just different. And also like not all countries and regions use the internet in the same way as evidenced by the magic credit cards that they have in China. Did you read that Unilever is planning to take it global? In a press release on the Unilever website, the executive vice president and CEO of the Prestige Division, which is the one that will be managing Paula's Choice, said, we're thrilled that they'll join our Prestige family, blah, blah, blah. We can't wait to introduce the brand and its iconic products to an even bigger audience. So to me, that says expanding its global footprint. Get ready, world. I hope Paula of Paula's Choice got at least like a some sort of a check. I think she's going like to be okay. Some nice flowers. I, I know, okay. but what she did, like... Starting a direct-to-consumer skincare brand in the 90s based on chemistry and science is, like, now it's all brands, skincare brands. But, like, at the time, like, she didn't made a website. 
You know, like I just think she was such a trailblazer. Agreed. Yeah, we covered this. If you haven't listened to the Polish Choice episode, Nick and I rant and rave about her and how she did it first. There's a South Park episode. Do you watch South Park, Nick? No. You don't have like stupid 13-year-old boy humor? I just can't watch cartoons. I need things like real people doing real things. Okay. I, I thought the same about BoJack Horseman. Give it a try. You'll, okay. I was in I'll tears. I was try. in tears by the last season, not of laughter, but because I was so emotionally invested in these. I have so little serotonin to give. I don't know if I can waste it on a cartoon. Try going cold turkey off your antidepressants because you forgot to refill your prescription. No, you, you, I, I literally said the words Britney Spears and Which you one? started hysterically crying. I'm not going off my antidepressant. Don't go off your antidepressants unless you're under a doctor's supervision. And with that, I think that's the end of Top Stories, Annie, unless you have anything to add. No. You know what? We don't have products of the week, and that's what makes us honest and good people. Because we're not just going to shove things that we don't like that you don't need down your throats. We're just going to say, you know what? We don't have one this week. I thought I did have a product of the week. And I thought it was a dupe for Michael Kors leg shine stick. If you know, you know, I don't need to get into it. It didn't live up to to my standards of Michael Kors leg shine stick. So I'm not even going to talk about it. I'll give you a hot tip. Kate Young, the stylist to Natalie Portman, Rachel Weisz. Friend of the pod. Selena Gomez. She's like the chicest person, the best style. Margot Robbie. Anyone who has good style and a good relationship with Chanel, she styles. Told me to check out... Ariana Grande Cloud, the fragrance. She said, trust me, like I wear it every single day. It's a gourmand fragrance. So in the Terry Mugler angel world, kind of like it's a bit sugary and and interesting anyway. It's calorie dense. I got it. It comes in this crazy cloud like flask and... I love it. I wore it today. I wore it yesterday. I mean, it's really so you do have a product of the crazy. Week. <laughs> and well, I want to tell you what she said. So then, anyway, that's a hot tip. It's not a review. It's not my product of the week, but it's just if you like a sugary fragrance that smells like pretty complex and expensive, Ariana Grande Cloud. Mm. Okay. Well, this is not a product per se. So we have a big joke at the office that this is a Skims workplace. Everyone here really likes Skims. It started with one person and it snowballed. I ordered Skims in the past. I don't think I had the body for it at the time. Apparently I do now because I spent more money than I had on some Skims the other day. And well worth it. Another hot tip. It's not, you know what? It's not a part of the week, but it's just a hot tip. It's a hot take. Kim with that baby voice going through her like clothing rack room with all the new skins. And she's like, guys, you asked for a short sleep dress. So that's what this is. This time it's lavender. This is Sainty's favorite. Oh, and this is, oh, I love this. This is the best. This is the mock neck. This is my favorite. I wear it under everything. Like gets me every time. And so now I get the emails where it's like new neon just dropped. It's every week, two drops a week of these like, and you know what I came up with last night? Hot tip for Kim 
So she started with shapewear, right? Underwear. Yeah. Now she's doing loungewear, cozy wear. Guess what's next? What? Squims. Swimwear. <laughs> Honestly, like I, I think you should trademark that. She can have and, like, it if if she will just if she it. will just send me the new stuff as it comes out. She can take it. She can have it. I don't know because that, it's expensive. That I'm not gonna lie. It's like a seventy dollar bodysuit. It's worth every penny, but. Okay, Squims, you heard it here first. Eyewitness Beauty is produced, as always, by Jessamyn Molly of Seaplane Armada. And you know what? Her partner in crime, Justin from Seaplane Armada, helped produce this episode, so shout out to him. Our album art is by Simon Abronowitz. Our theme music is by Danny Prezant. And that's all she wrote. Hi at Eyewitness Beauty if you want to email us. Nick at Eyewitness Beauty. Annie at Eyewitness Beauty if you want to write us. We're on Twitter at Eyewitness Beauty, but it's with an I instead of E-Y-E because of character limits. We are taking next week off. Summer vacation. Don't call us out of office. Write to us, though, because we'll probably be on our phone the whole time. And then we'll be back the week after next with a brand new episode. So what are we going to do, Annie? We'll talk with you then. Bye. And as the Supreme Court once said, fuck school, fuck softball, fuck cheer, fuck everything. Everything.